This is Minister in the Making, episode number 17. I'm B.T. Irwin. This is a podcast for church people, from the ones who stand in the pulpit every Sunday to the ones who sneak in and sit on the back pew every once in a while. And the mission of this podcast is to give church people a behind-the-scenes, inside look at life in Christian ministry. Your guide is my dad, Travis Irwin, who shares the stories and wisdom he collected from almost 50 years in full-time church work. This time, my mom, Debbie Irwin, joined Dad and me for a special episode. We're talking about friendships and how important they are to ministers and their families. The inspiration from this episode is John and Jan Kerr, a couple who befriended Dad and Mom the day they started their work with the Steel Avenue Church of Christ in Ashland, Ohio in 1981. John befriended Dad in a way that no mere member of a congregation ever did before. Dad and Mom will talk about what made their friendship with the Kerrs so special and so unique, and how that single friendship set the tone for 22 and a half years of ministry in Ashland, Ohio. They're also going to talk about how friendships are different when you're the minister or minister's spouse. They'll talk about how it's not only hard for ministers and their families to be themselves and open up to members of their congregations, but also how hard it is for regular church members to feel comfortable in friendships with their ministers and their families. You're going to get a lot of great looks behind the scenes in this episode, as well as some advice for church communities and their ministers. Before we get into the conversation, you need to know that dad is feeling the effects of his chemotherapy uh, and also that he and mom got really bad head colds a few days before we recorded this podcast, which is also why it's over a week late. Um, they cough in this episode and their voices are raspy, um, but they really wanted to record it. So I agreed to go ahead and do it with them. So with that out of the way, let's hear what dad and mom have to say about ministers and their friends. Okay, so today we have a special treat, not just dad, but mom is also with us today. Mom is Debbie Irwin, of course, um, dad's lifelong partner, uh, best friend, um, I'd say very much a part of his ministry. And uh, dad and mom, this is episode number 17 of this podcast, if you can believe it. And um, we're picking up on the timeline of our family history in the early years of your life and work with the Steel Avenue Church of Christ in Ashland, Ohio. So I'm just going to do a quick recap here before we get into the questions. Uh, this is for the people at home. You both grew up in Tennessee. You met and married in Nashville and uh, made the choice in the early 70s to go into church work. And that is how you ended up at the West Side Church of Christ in Akron, Ohio, uh, 1975, and you were there until 1980. And then you spent one year with the Church of Christ in Cadiz, Ohio, before you came to Ashland, Ohio in August 1981. Do I have my facts straight? Is that the way yeah. it happened? That's pretty much it. Okay. So um, <laughs> I, I just want to, I said I wasn't going to do this. Uh, to you, Dad, but I do want to go back in time again before we talk about Ashland. Um, 
I kind of want to remind you of something you said when we talked about your years in Akron. Um, I, I recall that you talked a lot about friendships that y'all had in Akron. And I heard you talk about two different kinds of friends. So dad, uh, you talked about preacher friends that you had while you were in Akron. Um, and these were other Church of Christ preachers who lived in Northeast Ohio. Uh, I, you know, like uh, Glenn Hawkins and Chuck Pugh are, are two names that, that come to mind. Okay. Um, so you had friends, dad, that were fellow ministers, but they were not members of your congregation and they didn't even live uh, in, your, in your community. But then dad, you talked about as a couple, the two of you had some good couple friends in Akron. And, um, you know, I still remember their names. So the Pattons, the Pells, the Ulmers, the Welches. Um, and these were all young couples and they were starting their families at the same time that you were starting your family. And you did a lot of couple stuff together. And uh, mom, I remember you getting together with some of the other mothers and, uh, and us kids playing together. So you had, you had good friends with the other young moms at church. So, all right. All of that is a setup, Dad, for this question. Dad, you had preacher friends from right. around the right. area, but did you have any close friends in your congregation itself? And when I say well, close friends, I mean people that you could take off your minister hat and just be Travis. Uh, in, in the congregation? Yeah. I think there's one person I could do that with, and that's Doug Pell. Okay. And they were also one of your couple friends too. So Doug and Kathy right. Pell. Right. Um, so Akron, you had great couple friends. Uh, Dad, you and Doug are still friends to this day. Right. You moved to Cadiz, Ohio, and you had a hard time making friends in Cadiz. Dad, you, you did the same thing in Cadiz you did in Akron. You had some preacher friends from other towns. Um but the two of you struggled to make real friends there in Cadiz. Um, how much of a factor was it in your decision to, to leave Cadiz that you had a hard time making friends there? Uh, I don't remember it being a factor. Okay. Um, I just, the, the factor there was, it wasn't a good fit we need, and we needed to make a change. That's what happened. Um, the friends I have down there in Southeast Ohio, I mean, they're still there. I haven't communicated with them for a long time, but some of them I have. But that, that wasn't the factor. Now, I will quote back to you, though, that when we talked about Cadiz a while back, you talked about mom being, and I quote, sad and lonely, end quote. Um, so mom... Uh, was sad and lonely in Cadiz and having a hard time making friends. And it was uh, mom who, um, you know, we, we talked about the story of the grocery store a few episodes. It was mom who you came home one day and she said, got to make a change. And you resigned within 24 hours. So mom, what, what do you have to say about friendships being a factor in, um, the the choice to to move on from cat is i don't think it was a 
a top factor, but I do think it was a contributing factor. <clears throat> just, just the underlying fact that we weren't close to anybody there, I think contributed to the fact that it was not a good fit. So I think it contributed, but it wasn't the major, it wasn't the top reason why, but I think it contributed to the top reason. Yeah. I. What, what was interesting about the interviews that dad and I did about cat is, was, you know, I've grown up uh, <coughs> hearing stories about, about cat is and how unhappy you were there. And so, you know, as I was asking dad questions about his, his work with the church, I couldn't really find anything. I couldn't find a hint of unhappiness in any of the answers that he gave. So, you know, he said things like it wasn't a good fit. And I believe that, but when we, when I asked him questions that really kind of um, got down to the emotions that you were feeling when you were there, he often brought up you, mom, and, uh, and your relationships, and frankly, the strangeness of some of those relationships in Cat is. And so um, I just wonder, like, because we haven't had a chance to ask you about this, mom. You know, dad has, has given a very fairly business-like response to the questions. But when you look back on your time in CAD is, um, and the motions you were feeling there, like what, what were you going through? And I'm asking this because I'm setting us up for talking about Ashland in a second. Well, I was very lonely and I was very sad. Uh, just like your dad said, you know, like you talked about in Akron, we had several couples that we were uh, good friends with. We did a lot of social things with them. We had, uh, we would have big dinners together at each other's homes and we would, um, everybody would bring a dish, you know, kind of like a potluck, but it was just, just as couples because everybody was just starting out. Nobody had money to do anything. We would exchange babysitting with each other. So it, you know, one couple could have a night out, just the two of them, and not have to worry about paying for a babysitter. All they had to pay for was their dinner and a movie or whatever they were doing. And then they would do the same for us. Uh, like you said, we would have play dates during the day where we, we would go to someone's house and you kids would play with the other kids or vice versa. They would come to our house. There was none of that in Caddis. Mm. None. None of that in Caddis. Nobody invited us over no and and we invited a few people over but not very many because they didn't want to they just didn't they were all related and they all had already had their social groups and there just wasn't a place for us and so yes I was very very lonely when we when your dad did the radio program in St. Clairsville we would go every other week to St. Clairsville for him to record two weeks worth of radio programs. And he would drop you and Michelle and me off at the mall. Yep. And he would go do the radio programs and then come back and we would have lunch and then go home. Those were the, those every other week trips to the mall in St. Clairsville were just about the highlight of my time in Caddis. Mm. You know, at least we were out somewhere. You know, yep. even though we weren't with friends, at least we were out. Yeah, I remember those trips to the mall. 
they might they might have been my highlight too because we yeah. ate at the ponderosa steakhouse at the mall and they had chocolate milk and chocolate pudding there um so mom and dad let me put it to the to you this way if you had made friends in Cadiz, like similar to the friendships you had in akron do you think you would have stayed there longer I personally think it would have made a difference, mm. even though I don't think I can't see us being there long term. Yeah, it just it, it just wasn't a good fit, like your dad said. Well, what you need to understand, though, in those days, I don't know if it's different today than it was 30 or 40 years ago. <coughs> you don't go into preaching to make friends. You don't move to a congregation to make friends. If you make friends, that's a big plus. It's a great blessing. And it makes your job easier, more pleasant, enjoyable. But uh, that's not that's not why we were leaving Cadiz. That's not why we went to Cadiz. That's the really not even the, even the reason we went to Akron or even Ashland. But just so happened in the case of Akron and Ashland, we were richly blessed with friends. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple of those friends. You moved to Ashland. And like I said, Dad, you, uh, in our conversations about other uh, churches where you ministered, the friends that you mentioned were other preachers yeah. that were working at other churches. Yeah. So uh, today, I, I kind of had to pull a name out of you, and that was Doug Pell. And you mentioned Doug at West Side Church of Christ. He wasn't a preacher. He was just a member of the church. Um, when you got to Ashland in 1981, you formed a friendship with one of the members of the church there, uh, a fast friendship. And um, who, who was that friend that you made? Well, that Almost was John a, Kerr. John Kerr. So what was different about John Kerr? Um, he's the first person that you've brought up without being prompted as a close friend uh, who was who not a, a preacher. At another church and uh, the other thing i'll point out is on the timeline that you all gave me uh you wrote something for almost every year that you were in ashland but there are very very few names on there uh and john kerr's name is one of the few names that shows up so he's he's got to be really important in your memories tell me what was different about john kerr and how did your friendship start john john is a people person john is the uh, walking personification of Christian love. And John just reaches out to people. Everybody loves John. John loves everybody. And we just happen to be the recipients of the blessing. And he took the first step and uh, we became fast friends for many years until he moved away. We still keep up with John. We see him on Facebook and he keeps up with us. But just he, he's just a natural natural friendly loving person and i will tell how that that the first the, the first reach out the first sunday that we were in ashland john and jan invited us to come to their house after church on sunday night for pizza there was a dorlo pizza was John's Pizza Place. Mm -hmm. And they had pizza from Dorlo every Sunday night after church. And we, but the first Sunday we were there, they invited us to come over and have pizza with them. 
And we spent a lot of Sunday evenings after that <coughs> at their house at pizza. And then your dad, John, John was, John didn't sleep very much. Yeah. I mean, John could operate on two or three hours of sleep. And so yeah. some of his best talking time was midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning. And he would, he would have different people go out and walk around the city of Ashland with him and talk at one or two or three o'clock in the morning. And your dad did that a few times, even though your dad's sleeping schedule is nothing like John's. Hmm. And, and, but he did do it a few times. And that was, that was a couple of ways that they formed this really fast friendship. So dad, you just said something really interesting a second ago. You said you'd, back in the seventies, the you know, in early eighties, you didn't go into ministry to make friends. That's what you, that's what you just said. Right. And, um, you know, in a lot of the research that I've read on ministers and their friendships, uh, <coughs> ministers are, uh, as a group, uh, apparently pretty reticent about forming friendships with members of their congregations. Mm -hmm. So what did you make of you said John made the first move, invited you all to pizza. Um, the first Sunday you, you got to Ashland. I mean, what did you make of this guy uh, when he started, you know, asking you, asking you over and asking you to walk around the city in the middle of the night? John, John, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, like you said, sometimes preachers get a little defensive, but John, John was not trying to get, <clears throat> get answers out of me. He was not trying to hammer me with questions. He was just showing concern and wanted to get to know us. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like uh, I was on the defense the whole time. He wasn't digging for information uh, to be used against me or whatever. He just... He's just not that, not that kind of guy. So after after a few minutes or a few hours of that, my defenses came down, and I was able to open up to him. And of course, when I opened up to him, I was kind of slow in doing that and waiting for some kind of reaction from him, which I really never got. And that's that's a uh, that's a compliment to him. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Dad. Was there a point where? with them and this is a question for mom too because i remember spending a lot of time with john and jan and their kids you know at our house at their house was there uh at what point did you start to no longer feel like the minister or the minister's wife when you were with them you were just trav and deb well i don't, I don't know if i can answer that question i don't think it took very long no. I have to say, since you started doing these podcasts with your dad, he and I have, after you're finished, he and I talk about some of the things. And one of the things that we talked about with friendships was that the people that your dad got the closest to, the men that your dad got the closest to, generally had a heart for preachers. They've either, they either became preachers or they've become elders 
they they just have kind of the same mindset or outlook as your dad. John was one of those people. Of course, John ended up preaching, has preached for years. Doug has been an elder for years. There's just, there's that common thread that runs through them that makes them, makes them friends and makes them close. Yeah, that's a good but, observation. Yeah. And yet, Dad, you, you said you couldn't answer the question, which I think is a really important question because a lot of ministers that they've surveyed through the years have said that they have a really hard time uh, forming friendships with people because it's hard for them to stop thinking of themselves as the minister. Yeah. You know what I mean, <laughs> or the minister's wife. They said this applies to spouses, too. Uh, so, you know, in a in a relationship with a church member you've always got that I'm the minister thing kind of hanging over your head. Right. And that's why it's so hard for ministers to form friendships within their churches. They can't get out from under that, that role that they are, ex they feel like they're expected to fill. So I think it's a really important question because I, I don't know, you know, in your relationship with John, I got to witness that. It didn't seem to me that you ever felt like, you were wearing the title of minister with him. And so it appears that at some point you, you could just be Trav and he could just be John and you could be friends. And I think it's interesting that you, you couldn't really answer the question. Is it cause that never happened or you just can't remember or. I, I don't think I could answer it either. Really? I really think it was just, I don't think it took very long. We just felt very comfortable and accepted with them you know and they didn't they didn't treat us like the preacher and his wife mm. you know what i'm saying yeah that's true a lot of people i mean a lot of people treat you like the preacher and his wife and i don't know if i can explain that but um they kind of hold you at arm's length because mm. you know because you're holy or something. I don't know, mm. but um, John and Jan never treated us that way. They just treated us like anybody else. Can you, can you think of a of a specific example of how uh, they treated you like everyone else? Like, can you can you think of a situation where John and Jan would treat you normal, whereas someone else? in the congregation might be arm's length or, or treat you different? I think just the fact that they invited us over to their house on Sunday night for pizza. They served the pizza out of the box. There was paper plates and paper napkins and paper cups. You know, some people, if they have the preacher and their wife over, they got to get out. At least back then, they had to get out the best china mm -hmm. and their kids had to be clean and in their best clothes. And you know, you, you didn't really get to see them how they lived mm -hmm. because they were putting on their best for you. You know, yeah. John and Jan didn't do that. They just, they were just John and Jan. They just, you know, if you walked in and, and, you know, there was something piled up on the couch, well, you just brush it off and sit down, you know, you don't, you don't get upset about it. And so yeah. they just treated us like we were anybody else. What did uh, dad, what did you and John talk about when you, when you got to you? I remember y'all 
being together for hours. And I loved, I loved when we went to the Kerr's house or they came to our house because I knew I was going to be able to allowed to stay up like super, super late yeah. because y'all would talk until 11 midnight, one o'clock. Um, wh what did you talk about? I've, I've talked to John till four o'clock in the morning. Um, <clears throat> anything from church to family, uh, private politics, um, uh, about his family, about my family, about, about Ashland. <clears throat> uh, John is a, a great storyteller. And he just tell one story after another. And the thing about it, all the stories were true. They were weird, but they were true. <laughs> We'd have a few good laughs. That'd give me a chance. <coughs> when he told a story, give me a chance to ask him some questions. And my first question usually was, John, is that really, did that really happen like that? And John would say, Trev, it happened just like that. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just go on and on. And um, he's a good listener, so am I. So, I mean, I just enjoy the, the stories. And of course, a lot of the stories I couldn't repeat, but. Uh, well, he would tell stories about growing up at Ashland and things that he and Jack Abels and Jim Pitney would get into and tricks they would play on people and, yeah, yeah, and just yeah. you know just all kinds of stuff like that <laughs> you know just and he is a good storyteller and and of course he was in the quartet then and mm, they had that yeah. old quartet bus yeah. and he would tell stories about them going in that bus and breaking down in that bus and running out of gas, running out of gas in the bus and just you know they were funny you know when he would tell those stories they were always funny that would be the Gloryland Quartet for those yeah. for those who were there. So um, when they moved away from Ashland, I don't remember what year that was. Um, it doesn't seem like it was too long after we moved there. How did it how did it affect you when they when they moved away? Well, they were they were greatly missed. Um, but he, I think he went to Sandusky. He did. <clears throat> did a great work there. Um, but we missed him big time. Uh, but we moved on. We uh, filled our time up with uh, all kind of neat things. But I was glad to see him be able to do what he wanted to do in this breach. So I was happy for him for sure. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he, 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 would, he would come down for, for quartet practice. Yep. yep. I'd see him then maybe every, every, maybe once a week or once every two weeks. Yep. I remember that. Um, four o'clock in the morning. I'll say, what did you, who did you talk to in the middle of the night after they moved away? Uh, your mom, but she was asleep. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, I got back to a regular schedule. I was in grad, grad school then too. Mm -hmm. I did some travel. How did uh, yeah. your, sorry, I think I cut you off, Dad. Ed. You say, how did your friendship with the Kerrs, um, you know, contribute to your, your happiness and your, uh, your ministry to the church? That's a question for either one of you. Well, I think it had a, had a, I think it had a long lasting effect. 
it set the tone for our work there. It told us what kind of people were there. Uh, it told us a lot about the spirit of the church. Well, and they, I mean, they were good. They were probably our first friends there, mm -hmm. but they weren't our only friends there. No. We had other friends too. We still have friends there. We still have friends there, you know, but they were the first ones. Yeah. Um, Dad, you mentioned something a minute ago that uh, was spot on with what I've always assumed about ministers. And I've, I've been in that role myself before. And, and I've known a lot of ministers in my life and reading surveys of ministers. There's a, like I said, there's a real reticence to, um, to become transparent and vulnerable with members of the church, right. To, to become friends with members of the church. And um, there is, also, uh, maybe some defense mechanisms that ministers have, because it's like, who can I trust, right? And why, you know, what do they want from me? That that kind of thing. So, uh, I just want to ask you, you 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 mentioned that John was very, um, I don't want to use the word disarming, right? Like you, he earned your trust pretty pretty quickly. And um, you came to believe that he loved you and had good intentions towards you and really was interested in you and, and having a, a friendship with you. Um, but have you ever, either one of you, ever been burned before um, by a relationship that you were forming with someone um, in, in a church where you, you served? Like you thought maybe a friendship was forming and then in some way the person... Uh, let you down uh, either by yes. okay what what happened and how did that change the way that you related to people in church after that well and and you kind of went in and out so I'm not I didn't uh -oh. hear the whole question but I think I know what you're asking okay I'm not going to say who that person was but we we it was another lady and um, we had children the same ages. We did a lot of things together. Um, and this friend, um, I think disagreed with um, the way we disciplined one of you kids and just pulled away she just pulled away she just i mean we used to do lunch together we used to get our get your kids together to play and she just stopped and if i would ask her she just wasn't available and um it didn't take me long to figure out that she was done with me I want to apologize for getting you into that mess. I'm pretty certain I had to be the child that was in need of discipline. I'm sorry, Brad, you're going in and out and I couldn't understand what you were saying oh, there. And it was such a good joke too. I said, I want to apologize for, I want to apologize for getting you in, getting you in trouble there. I'm sure I was the child that needed the discipline. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> 
Did but you I will ever say it, it hurt? Yeah, it really hurt. Do you think that that had anything to do with you being the minister's wife and this person holding you to a different standard because you were the minister's wife and these are the minister's kids? I never thought of it that way, no. Yeah. What about you, Dad? Did you ever get burned? Uh, <clears throat> I was probably totally out to lunch when it came to things like that. I had so many relationships, uh, and, and I don't mean friendships necessarily. I had so many relationships, so many irons in the fire, that if someone betrayed me or hurt me, I would not be aware of it. There were some situations, however, of members that had some issue, big issues of their own that seemed to do some collateral damage with my mind and my soul. And uh, that's probably another topic because I don't con I didn't consider those people friends at all. But uh, I've been let down a lot over the years, but I've always just chalked it up to the fact that people are people and that's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. And I'm going to do my dead level best to do my, to do what's right and move on. My interest, my main interest was the overall health and welfare of the church. And that, that involves individual people. But, I, you know, it dawned on me one day I did not have any close male friends. And it was scary. And I'm 71. It's still scary. Um, but most men were just like I was. And that is they worked, provided for their family. Uh, what little bit of time they had left after work they spent with their family, doing things with their family. And I think they did the right thing. But there wasn't a whole lot of time spent as far as friendships, in-depth, deep, mm -hmm. good, solid friendships. Mm -hmm. But I've been, I've been let down, but I just kept moving. That's all I, know to, that's all I knew to do. You said there, was, there wasn't a lot of time for friendships, and yet... It seems like good in-depth friendships are necessary to a person's health and to a person's uh, well-being and, frankly, to a person's ability to, to be their best um, in whatever role they fill. So, um, you know, just to, to broaden this, this out a little bit, um, did you ever feel like being the minister and the minister's wife made it harder for you to, to form real friendships with people? I'm not saying impossible. I'm just saying harder because of the, because of the roles that you had in the church. So is your question being the minister makes having good friendships more difficult? Is that your question? Uh, making, making friends. Does it make it more difficult? Okay. We have a... Uh, We're uh, having an issue hearing you, Brad. Huh. You keep going in and out. Okay. So, so we never did hear that last question. All right. We had a problem with that last week, too. Um, I'll try again. So do you think being a minister and a minister's wife makes it harder 
to form friendships? I do. And why? Well, because I think two or three reasons. One is because people, a lot of people, now I don't know if it's that way as much now, but back then, a lot of people were not their real selves with you. Mm-hmm. They had on their Sunday morning selves with you, no matter when you were with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't let, they were not comfortable enough to just let down and be themselves. And then also, you did have to be careful if if somebody wanted something, if they were trying to find out information or if they had their own agenda and they were going to try to use you to get their agenda through. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, you really had to be careful about that. Yeah. Um, and so I think it did make it hard to make friends. When you, when you made a good friend, you had a treasure. Yeah. Another thing, Brad, is that a lot of people don't know what to talk about when it comes to being around a minister. They don't realize that a minister has has interests like they do. You know, he has hobbies. He likes sports. He likes cars. He likes to travel. They they think think he can only speak one language, and that's church language. So people, I think people avoid preachers for a lot of different reasons. That'd be, it goes back to what your mom just said, but also, a lot of folks just don't know what to talk about with preachers. Mm. And sometimes it, it goes the other way through. Sometimes a preacher doesn't know what to talk with people about. Yeah. But we all, we have so much in common. We just need to start somewhere talking about our kids or our jobs or uh, our hobbies or our families or whatever. Mm. And then the doors start opening up and people feel more comfortable. So that's, that's a recommendation I'd have on that if you want something on that. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to give your voices a break here. And just say, I, you know, I had a really bad experience myself when I was a minister at a church where I've always been a vulnerable person and I've always believed in, in being transparent and letting people know who I, who I am. And, uh, I formed some friendships and allowed myself to be, um, you know, uh, to, to try to be myself. Right. And, uh, I got burned and uh it hurt and it still hurts um and it made me um made me think twice about the relationships that i formed in uh church work or you know organizational work as i went forward i just wonder mom and dad both when you talked about people that might want to get something from you or dig up dirt did did you develop a a a sense like a sixth sense for reading people when they were up to when they had ulterior motives yeah and like yes. how could you tell if i mean what were some of the telltale signs that maybe someone was the nature the nature of the question yeah <laughs> like the more what pers- the more personal more personal an answer is required of the of the question you know they're digging for information about a particular situation or person yeah for example know if i could give an example but i do remember there has been times when i've just said to people i'm sorry but i can't talk about that you know yeah and then they pretty much went their own way because they knew they weren't going to get something from me yeah i can't tell you a specific example right now but 
I know that there's been several times when I've said to people, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't talk yeah. about that. Or I just, uh, I give some, some very vague general information. Or I say, I'll, I'll say, why don't you call them and ask them that question? Hmm. They have, they have the correct answer. I don't. Yeah. One of the things that um, in reading comments that, that pastors wrote on surveys about uh, loneliness and friendships um, on the one hand, they talked about the need to have good friends with whom they could be their authentic selves and uh, people with whom they could discuss their work. I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of pastors say is that in friendships, we typically talk about our work. That's something that friends talk about. Right. But when you're a, a minister and you're forming a friendship with a member of the church, how do you talk about your work without it becoming a problem? And so uh, ministers uh, can feel very reticent about sharing their whole selves, you know, either their selves or their situations at work with their friends because they don't want to, um, they don't want a conflict of interest. They don't want to uh, betray any confidences. Um, so let me put it to you this way. I mean, is it possible to have that kind of friendship with a church member or do ministers need to go outside their congregations to have friendships on that level? What do you think? I'm going to say that I was, I always, always was glad and encouraged your dad to go to the monthly preachers meetings mm -hmm. because he could go and he could share not names, but he could share situations. He could share things that he was going through with somebody else and know that it wasn't going to go any further mm. and know that they understood what he was talking about Yeah, and might be able to encourage him or even give him some advice that he could not do with any member of our congregation. Yeah, there just wasn't. It just was not possible. It would yeah. have, it would have just blown everything up. And so, for that kind of a friendship, I feel like you have to, you that for the preachers, like the preachers' meetings, I th I just felt like it was vital. And your dad always came back from those in a good mood, you know, because he had been with other men who spoke his language and knew what he was talking about and knew the heartaches you know and um so i don't i really i personally don't think it's possible for a minister mm -hmm. to have friends like that in their same congregation unless it's a multi-staff church and you're sharing with other staff mm -hmm. uh i'm going to save dad's voice a little more and ask you a follow-up question mom they had preachers meetings that dad could attend they didn't have meetings for preachers wives so no, they didn't. what about you? I mean, we, we talk about, I mean, I think the reality is that in the church of Christ, the minister's <coughs> wife is a role unto itself. You know, the church doesn't hire the minister's wife, but she does have a role and an identity yeah. in the church. She is the minister's wife and everyone knows it. So, you know, dad can go to a preacher's meeting. And as he's talked about at every step along the way, 
he made friends with preachers in other towns and they spent a lot of time together. Um, but, but what about you? What are you supposed to do as the minister's wife? You don't have a minister's wives meeting where you can talk about what's going on at church and how it's affecting you. Um, it never occurred to me to have a minute of preacher's wives meeting. Yeah. I mean, it never occurred to me. I will say, um, you know, Roger and Andrea Condra, mm -hmm. where they are in Delaware, their preacher's meetings that they have every month, the wives go too. Oh, yeah. But the wives meet in another room mm -hmm. and just visit and talk while the preachers are having their meeting. And then they all get together and have lunch. So it is done in some places, but that's the yeah. first time I've ever heard of it. Now, I have to say in Ashland, I had, I had, I had a lot of friends, a lot of people that once again, there were a lot of young families with children that were growing up just with you kids. And um, one of the things that they did when we first moved there was once a month, the young mothers got together mm -hmm. at somebody's house in an evening and you would make a craft and have refreshments and just have that time together as young mothers. And uh, that was wonderful. That was, I, you know, I didn't, I guess I didn't feel the need for a preacher's wife's meeting because I had, I had these things. I had these friends. Mm. I had, you know, once again, I had friends. And so I didn't feel the need for a preacher's wife's meeting when, like when we got together in those groups, nobody talked about the church. I mean, nobody wanted to talk about the church. Mm. Everybody talked about their kids and and their husbands and uh and i didn't say much about my husband at those meetings you know but um it was just fun it was just fun just to get together with other mothers talk about your kids and of course at that time i was a full-time homemaker and that was the most important thing in my life was taking care of my family and so to be able to get together with other people who were doing the same thing was the same thing as the preacher going to the preacher's meeting hmm and talking about their thing you know does that make sense yeah um what do you wish people what do you wish the members of the church could understand about their ministers and their families what do you wish they knew about your life it's really not a whole lot different from theirs. <clears throat> in some sense, it's not different. In that, some ways, it is, but in some ways, it's not. That I'm a sinner saved by grace, just yeah. like them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have we have bills to pay. Uh, we get sad. We get happy. Uh, we celebrate. We uh, have to discipline our kids. We have money issues. We have stress, uh, just like they do. For the parents. We have parents we can take care of. We have siblings. We have, you know, we, you know, we like some of the same things: food, recreation, sports. We are really no different. What that requires is time and effort. And a lot of us live in a very fast-paced, 
culture, even 45 years ago, it was fast paced. And we don't want to take the time or we don't take the time. It, it's difficult when you have your own family. There's no saying we say we are, we are pedaling as fast as we can go. And that's what your mother and I did until you children walked out the door, didn't come back. We're still busy. Uh, nothing like that neck break pace as it was when we had kids at home. But we, we, were, we have more in common than we don't. Even with, uh, even with the fringe member of the church, okay, or the most dedicated member of the church, <coughs> we have a lot in common. You know, the apostle Paul says, I become all things to all men in order that I may win some. And my dad taught me that years ago, and I'm sure he got it from the apostle Paul. But we have tried to do that. We've tried to meet people where they are, and get to know them, whether they were Christians or not Christians. That's where we, we try to find some commonality and go from there. And that, to me, that's where you start building a friendship. We need to remember that friendships are conditional. Christian love is not. Hmm. I accept you on the basis that Christ accepted you. I love you on the basis that Christ loved you, and I love you with the same love he loved you with. That's a great beginning. That's unconditional. If we can find someone that we feel very close to because we have some things in common that draws us closer together, that's just, a, to me, that's just a big plus. <laughs> that's just what I'm just thinking out loud now. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you uh, three questions here at the, at the end. Um, you know, you've obviously lived this for your entire adult lives. Um, church work relationships with, with members of the church. You've, you've been the minister, the minister's family just about that entire time. So, uh, First, I want you to uh, talk to uh, ministers and their families, especially uh, new ministers, young ministers, and their families who are just getting into this. What advice do you have for them as they join churches and form friendships uh, in those churches? I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I mean, I would say, like your dad said, if you can have good friends in the church, that's a plus. But I am going to say, don't discount having good friends that are not in the church. Hmm. Um, you know, some of the people, by the time we left Ashland, some of the people that I felt closest to were the people that I worked with at Montgomery School. Mm -hmm. And to <coughs> them, I was not the preacher's wife. Mm -hmm. I was one of the staff at the school. And so, I mean, you know, personally, I say find good friends wherever you can find them. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you... I tell you, the culture today is different than it was 45 years ago. There's more of an emphasis upon relationships and friendships. I see this among the millennials. <clears throat> and if it's true, if it continues to hold out, if a man's getting into full-time preaching now, I would assume 
that the millennials would accept him and befriend him. I'm assuming that. But I also would, would tell my uh, brethren, practice Matthew 7, 12, once again, treat others the way you want to be treated. Third of all, as a preacher, don't expect everyone to be your best friend. If you have any friends at all, any close friends at all in the church, <coughs> it will be a very small amount. Uh, they probably won't be in the leadership. Um, but if you, if you if you can find a great a good friend, great, in the church or outside the church. But you need friends. You need someone who can encourage you, someone that you can encourage. Uh, if you get if you have, if you get a good friend, thank God for him. Well, and I'm going to throw in one more thing. Mm -hmm. When we lived in Brushy, there was a lady there named Miss Wilma. And she said something that really has stuck with me. When she was younger and her husband had a job where they had to move a lot. And so they were, you know, every year or two, they would have to move to a new town and find a new church home. And her mother gave her a piece of advice. And that was, when you move into a new church, find out who the most spiritual person is and make sure that person is your best friend. And I think that's good advice. And I think that over the years, the really good friends that we have made um, have been some of the most spiritual people in the congregations where we've been. Let me ask you a follow-up <laughs> question to that, Mom. That's, that's really good. If you were uh, giving advice to young ministers now, uh, making friends, uh, making friends when I was in high school and college was really easy. Um, the older I get, the harder it gets to make friends. And it's a lot like dating, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when you, when you go to a, if, if you're not in a place where you've been friends with people your entire life, if you move to a new place, you join a new church, it's like going to a new school and, you know, walking into the cafeteria on the first day, looking for a place to place to sit. So, um, you know, as a 45 year old man, it's intimidating to ask someone out, Hey, are you interested in being a friend with me? You know, um, I've talked about this with other people. So if you're giving advice to a minister, and uh, a minister's family, they're going into a new situation and they see, you know, the most spiritual person, as you said, mom, in the church. How, how would you recommend that ministers and their families reach out to people and try to form friendships with them? Well, first of all, I want to make, a, I want to make sure you understand there's a difference between spiritual and religious. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm talking about spiritual. Yes. You know, Invite them to your home for lunch. Spend time with them. Um, I mean, if they're spiritual and you're spiritual, you'll click. Okay. Dad has nothing to add. All right. So other side of the coin here is uh, I want to ask you 
to give advice to people who are not ministers, they're just members of the church, how can they uh, befriend their ministers and their families? What practical advice would you give them? Just open up your heart. Yeah, uh, get 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 rid of all the uh, preconceived ideas. Um, you know, love believes all things, and if you love your preacher, you're going to believe what's best. You're going to trust him, and you're going to open up to him. You just be yourself. Uh, you don't have to start with something huge or big. It can be a simple hello. <coughs> it can be a phone call. It can be lunch. Um, it could be a picnic. But little things. And it's, you know, as time goes along, uh, you as a member of the church, you have to make a decision. Do, do you want this preacher to be your friend? You may not want to be his friend. <coughs> so you got to be fair to yourself as well. Yeah. Get rid of any preconceived ideas about preachers. Just treat them like a normal person. I, um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on what members of the church may think about their, their ministers and their families. Like, um, they're probably very busy or they probably have a lot of friends already. So they don't need another friend or, you know, maybe they'll wonder what I'm up to if I invite them over for, for dinner. So do you think that members of the church sometimes don't try to befriend their ministers because they think, ah, they wouldn't have time for me They They probably have a bunch of friends already. I mean, the minister is the most popular person in the church. Um, Could be. Some, I, some, go ahead. No, go ahead. Some people are jealous of the preacher mm -hmm. because he gets so much attention. Mm. Once again, you got to get rid of those preconceived ideas and give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, and, and I, <coughs> I personally, I mean, I haven't been in that situation, but I would say that people would be more hesitant to be friends with the preacher because they're uncomfortable around them than because they think they're too busy. I mean, I can, I can tell when somebody, of course, now I'm not in the preacher's wife, preacher's wife role now. So this is from past experience, but I could tell when I could always tell when a person was uncomfortable around me because they thought I was holier than them or something, you mm. know, mm. and they, and so they were afraid of what they'd say or what their kid would say or, mm -hmm. You know, they, they were uncomfortable. They almost couldn't wait to get away from me because they were uncomfortable, mm. you know? And yeah. so I would see that, that being more of a problem than them thinking that I was too busy for them. Hmm. I never people, would have thought of that. If people are defensive too, they're afraid of what, they're afraid they're going to say something that you're going to disagree with them on and you're going to preach to them or try to correct them. So yeah, you got all kind of things. You got the fear factory. You got all kind of things. Yeah. People just people just need to move past that. It's not easy to do that, but they need to move past that. And and the more the more somebody has the preacher and his family on a pedestal, the worse it is. 
do you think though that you know i i have a perception based on my own experience a few years ago the one i told you about a minute ago that part of the tension there is that ministers and their families for the most part don't want to be on a pedestal in the church of christ i can't speak for other branches of the family tree but in the church of christ ministers and their families want to be treated like normal people and not be put on a pedestal and yet i feel like members of a church have a need for their ministers and their families to be on a pedestal do you understand what i'm saying so that might not be the right terminology. people what's that that may not be the right terminology it may not be the right per terminology, but I, you know, you think about the particular role that a minister fills in the lives of the members. So when someone is dying, right, Dad, you've been you've been to a lot of uh, bedsides in the hospital. You've you've been with a lot of families that are grieving um, when tragedy strikes. Right, people in those moments, I feel like they don't want their minister to be just like them. They want their minister to come speak a word from God, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's a it's a matter of comfort and stability and and feeling like everything is under control. Everything is going to be okay. Um, you know, when you preach and teach every Sunday, and the people are in the pews, um, they don't want you to be just one of them. They want to hear God speak. We, we are here because we need to know what's going on in this universe. <laughs> and we hope you know, you know, we need to know how to live our lives and get it right. And we hope you know. And not only do we hope you know, but we hope you can show us how it's supposed to be done. So um, what I'm saying is I feel like this creates a tension for ministers. On the one hand, ministers and their families may want to be treated like everyone else. And yet everyone else may, to some degree, not want their minister and, their fa and his family to be like everyone else. They want them to be a little different. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from on that. Well, it's like this. <clears throat> In some sense, we need to expect more of preachers. That's why they're hired. They have knowledge, they have experience, Hopefully they have some wisdom. <laughs> Hopefully they have some pastoral skills. So we expect more. <laughs> we expect more. <clears throat> and we need that more from time to time. You turn that around. There are, there are certain things I expect more of certain members that I don't, don't of others. Because I know them and I know what their gifts are and so forth. So we all, it's a two-way street, we all expect more of each other under certain circumstances because of different reasons. But I think you're right. We're not, and this, what you're talking about is not putting the preacher on a pedestal. It's recognizing his, for a lack of a better term, his professional, his profession, his trade. Mm -hmm. That's what the apostle Paul calls it. He says, fulfill thy ministry. He's saying, fulfill thy trade. And so we, we, we can and we should expect more. And when he comes around, he gives something that we don't have to give. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. 
So here's here's the last question I, I have for you all today. And this is <laughs> this is an opinion question. You know, we have talked in our family for for a long, long time about you know the health and well-being of our family. Um, we're a minister's family, and we've spent our entire lives together uh, in the church. And so we've all experienced all the good things about being a minister's family in the church and all the, the bad things about being a minister's family in the church. Um, we've talked as a family about things that churches can do to um, do for the care and feeding of their ministers, right? So I know we've talked about sabbaticals in the past, <laughs> you know, ministers, uh, you know, need a break. I mean, not on this podcast, but, you know, in our private conversations, uh, we've, we've talked about things like sabbaticals. Um, we've talked about the need for, for ministers to unplug and get away uh, for a while. And these have been private family conversations. Um, we've, we've talked about things like that. I just, I'm, I'm wondering, well, I, you know, for another example, um, you know, we've talked about how ministers are paid in our family. Um, you know, how they're paid, how they're cared for, um, health insurance, uh, getting these, these, these have all been conversations we've had as a family and they relate to, uh, what ministers and their families need from church leadership in order to be healthy and to keep growing and to take care of their own needs so that they're able to, um, to do their work with the church. Because when ministers burn out or their marriages fail or they go bankrupt um, or their health fails, then they're no longer able to, to minister to the church. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The people at home can't see the confused looks on your faces. Right now. <laughs> so um, I just, I wonder, is there anything that you think that church leaders can do? And in the church of Christ, that, that normally means elders, um, to make churches more conducive to their ministers forming good friendships um, and meeting that need in their lives. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, dad, you talked about Dorothy Abels and, and Graydon Abels and how they took it on themselves to introduce you to the town of Ashland and connect you to all the members of the church. Um, and I asked you, did the church ask them to do that or did they do that on their own? And you said, I think they did it on their own. John Kerr, took it on himself to invite you over for pizza on, on your first Sunday uh, in Ashland. And that turned into a friendship that was really important to you while the curs were there. But you just said today that it really set the tone for your entire time in Ashland. But that was a, a choice that John made on his own. Um, so the question again is, do you think church leadership ought to be thinking about um, are we creating an environment here in a situation for our ministers where they are able to form good friendships within the church and have those relationship needs met? If there's anything church leaders can do, what, what would you think it would be? Well, <clears throat> none of us know how to do that. Uh, there may be some exceptions out there in some exceptional congregations with exceptional leaders that know how to do that, that are in, even cognizant of it. Uh, but I'm sure there's some things that can be done. 
And, uh, you know, going back to friendship, uh, a real friendship is, is not something you can pay somebody to do. Right. Or ask them to do. It comes, it's, it's a more natural thing. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, back to your question. I don't, I don't know if anybody that's doing a good job on that. I don't know if anybody's done any writing on that. Hmm. Uh, but we, we start with the premise that a preacher, generally speaking, is one who is always giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And under a little bit of stress, whether it's self-stress or stress of the job, so we need to keep all that in mind. That's, that's, that's with someone doing some study and writing a book about, so far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I'm going to add my two cents. That's why you're here. I think that the best thing that a leadership can do is to be role models. Mm. Yeah. In, in um, making their, their preacher and his family feel welcome. Because the members do watch the leaders. And, and if the leaders tend to be friendly and welcoming and hospitable, then the members tend to be too. And so I think, I think that the, the leaders need to be role models in that. And I think the members will follow them. The other thing I will say is everything that we're saying here is general. You will have some ministers who want to be private mm -hmm. they they don't want to have friends in the church it's their job and that's it and then you you may have a leadership who wants their ministers and their families to be on pedestals you know and so you have to take every congregation in consideration yeah. and every leadership and every minister because we're not all alike yeah you know, I uh, will end with this and I'll, I'll ask you for your thoughts. One of the across the surveys that I've been able to read on uh, ministers and friendships and churches, uh, the common element across all of them is that ministers are lonely. By and large, ministers uh, are lonely. Um, part of that is the fact that they do a lot of their work alone and and that could mean among people, but they are alone uh, when they are with people. So if you're, uh, if you're uh, officiating a wedding, for example, you are with people, but you are alone in your role and you're more like part of the scenery rather than part of the, you know, usually the, what's happening with the people around you. So the ministry role itself is, is a solitary role. Ministers spend a lot of time studying alone, praying alone, in the car alone, dealing with family, you know, the crises of people in their congregation alone. And so ministers are, uh, a lot of ministers report that they feel lonely. And that just seems to come with a job. Um, but we also know that there is, uh, there have been really negative trends among ministers uh, in terms of burnout and leaving the ministry, uh, a lot of ministers, um, uh, quite a few, leave the ministry, and loneliness surely is a factor in that. 
um, ministers who uh, get divorced, uh, have affairs, um, you know, leave the church altogether, you know, their families fall apart, fairly high, uh, you know, remarkably high instance of that among ministers. Um, and when that happens, there's a lot of collateral damage to the church itself and to the people in the church uh, beyond the family. So, you know, when I look at this, I think ministers are, are um, because of their role as uh, preachers, right, and teachers in the church, not only are they targets for Satan, right, but the situations in which ministers find themselves, I think, are often conducive to bad things happening because they are lonely. They do work alone. And um, because they don't have friendships, because they don't have healthy relationships, sometimes they go searching for some other way to scratch the itch. Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, my, my feelings on this is that church leadership needs to be thinking about this. This needs to be something that, Dad, you said somebody needs to write a book. <laughs> But I feel like the need is, is, is urgent in churches to think more in terms of the health of a minister's relationships more broadly and making sure that a minister is in a situation where relationships are forming and relationships are healthy. And um, I don't think we can just say, well, that's the minister's responsibility alone. I think that's something that church leadership needs to take more responsibility and put more thought into. And I just wonder if y'all think I'm on the right track with that or, or not? I think so. I think so. There, there needs to be some uh, talk, <coughs> talk about friendships within the body of Christ. A lot of people who are Christians don't have other Christians as friends. Yeah. There, there's another gap there. <clears throat> but uh, we've learned over the years that when we go into a congregation, relationships are pretty much already established. Mm -hmm. They've grown up together. They're related to one another. They went to school together. And you're on the outside trying to get in. It's very difficult. Mm. That's not a criticism. That's just a fact of life. Yeah. So anybody needs, everybody needs to keep that in mind. No matter who you are, whether you're a preacher or whoever you are, looking for a church. Yeah. So church people who are listening to this invite your minister out to lunch this week <laughs> Sounds good to me or 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 find somebody else in the in the congregation and, and reach out to them because making new friends is hard even for ministers and uh, especially for ministers and so they will appreciate your friendship y'all have anything else you really want to say we have some dear dear friendships that we've uh had created and nurtured over the past 45 years we wouldn't trade them for all the money in the world the downside to that is that there's the distance hmm. and we're not pointing fingers and blaming anybody that's just the way it is they've gone on their direction we've gone in our direction to raise families become grandparents so forth but we still hold those people dear in our hearts and they know who they are if they're listening they know who they are if I start mentioning names, I'll leave somebody's name off. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. But there, those people are dear to us. We have dear friends coming today from the Athens Church. 
uh, they're deer. One day, I'll be together forever. And I look forward to that. Enough said. Amen. Thanks, Dad. All right. Well, I know uh, Mom's got to cook for those guests who are coming today, those dear friends from Athens, Tennessee, and uh, y'all need to let your voices rest so you'll be able to actually visit with them. So thanks for thanks for croaking your way through this conversation on uh, ministers and their friends. Our Thank pleasure. you, babe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dad and Mom talk about the blessing and necessity of friendships for Christian ministers. Um, at the very end, you might have noticed that the sound went out a little bit. That was not an audio problem. Um, Dad choked up as he was talking, and so you might not have caught what he said. Um, I'm not going to try to repeat it, but the gist is that Dad said he is looking forward to being with all of his friends in heaven. Um, he just got done saying that friends come and go in life, but he's looking forward to a time when his friends will always be with him forever. Um, that is especially important to dad right now. Um, and you know that it means a lot to him more than ever, actually, because of his recent cancer diagnosis. Um, he started chemotherapy in late July. And he has suffered several complications and side effects, uh, not to mention the bad head cold that you heard in our conversation. I think that uh, dad and mom are going through one of the hardest times in their lives right now. And they know that it will end sooner or later with dad uh, passing on from this life and entering his life that is hidden with Christ in God, as the Bible says. So whether that's sooner or much later, we don't know. My parents are taking it one day at a time, but life is very hard for them right now. So please keep them in your prayers. If you want to keep track of dad's uh, treatments and what's going on with him, I will include the link to his Caring Bridge webpage in the show notes. Once again, I am happy to ask your questions. So if there's something in particular that you want me to ask dad, in a future episode, just email it to me at bt at btirwin.com. That's B as in Bradley, T as in Travis at btirwin.com. Grace and peace.